All right, Harbor of Hope, thanks for having me back. My name's Nate Rubright. I work for Sojourn Collegiate Ministry, and uh, I am guest speaking today for Pastor Katie. So, first things first, who is done with the leftovers in their fridge? Nobody. Absolutely nobody. We finished last night. We have one right here. We finished last night, uh, and it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to be like, all right, everything is done, but it's also kind of scary to be like, well, I got to start cooking again because Thursday was, was crazy. We had a bunch of people over. We had people from kind of all walks of life, and the whole time I was reminding myself last year was different, right? Last year was so different. We had, uh, we wanted to have people over. We had to, you know, do masks. Some people were, were still kind of waiting, uh, and this, this fall has been incredible in just how uh, we've just kind of seen communities be able to come back together. And so that's what I really want to celebrate uh, this Thanksgiving. That's what I was celebrating throughout this last uh, last couple of days. None of this is about the, the message, though, so don't, don't worry. Um, it's the first week of Advent. Uh, and Advent is a little bit longer this year. It's almost uh, five weeks, but we're still going to do four uh, Sundays. Advent comes from the Christian calendar. It's Adventus. It means uh, arrival. Uh, but it's essentially just a time of anticipation. Uh, and it's going to be interesting because Advent this year, I, I really want it to look a little bit different. For myself, for everybody else, I think for the last three years, uh, we've had a lot of stuff happen to us, right? A lot of stuff has happened to us. A lot of things uh, have kind of been dictated to us. It seems like, you know, where I want to go, who I want to hang out with, all that stuff, for good reasons, absolutely good reasons, uh, has really been out of my control. Uh, and for the first time, it seems like Advent can, can be that season uh, where there really is kind of this, this decision to do something, a decision for transformation. So Advent, uh, we wait for Christ. Uh, we wait for the birth of Christ. Advent in some church traditions looks a lot like Lent. Uh, people fast. People kind of uh, wear mourning. They, they, they dress in black. Uh, but it is a time of anticipation. It's a time to say, all right, I want to make myself feel a little bit different, right? What do we say every year when we get to Christmas? Oh my gosh, it's Christmas, right? You're surprised that week of the 25th where it's like all of a sudden, oh my gosh, how did I even get here? Do I have everything done? Are we where we need to be? Are my kids where they need to be? Uh, But right now, right now it's the 27th. We've got uh, almost five weeks. And right now I want to say this is the time to kind of start that process Uh, of transformation. And I think it's really cool because Pastor Katie chose something called the Servant Songs. Uh, These are from Isaiah uh, as our our verses for the next four weeks. These Servant Songs, uh, they're prophecies by the prophet Isaiah uh, about the coming of Christ. Basically, Isaiah is is saying there is going to be a Messiah that comes. Uh, He is going to make things right. He's going to kind of change the power structure that we're under now, but things will be different, right? And so when Jesus comes, and they say, hey, what are you trying to do here, Jesus? Jesus quotes these songs. Uh, it happens a lot in uh, Matthew and some in Mark. But Jesus basically says, that guy, that Messiah, it's me. And those things, that's what I'm trying to do here. And if you read these verses, uh, these Isaiah verses, these servant songs, they're going to be pretty standard Jesus fare, right? You're going to see, all right, things are going to be made better. There's going to be a different... Uh, world. It's not going to be this whole bluster. It's going to be a lot more subtle. It's going to be working of the heart. Uh, but basically, it's not anything surprising, right? And probably in most sermons, you'd hear uh, the, the pastor put the words up on the screen and say, all right, let's talk about what these things mean. Let's talk about Isaiah. But today, I'm going to do, do something a little bit different. It might be a little bit of a zag from what you're used to. 
See, today, if you get to lunch and you forget that it was Isaiah, if you get to lunch and it's, uh, you forget that it's Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, if you forget that these are called the servant songs, that's fine with me. Today, the goal is not that you learn anything about these verses in the traditional sense, in the traditional exegetical sense. Today, the goal is to feel something. That's what Advent is about. Advent isn't about learning more about Jesus. It isn't about getting to Christmas and having like a better idea of the whole story, the whole arc, Old Testament to New Testament. We want to start feeling different. That was the audience that Isaiah was talking to. That's what they felt. They didn't just learn that there was a Messiah. That information wasn't necessarily important to them. What was important is that they felt different. And that's what prophecies, these predictions that we see, especially in the Old Testament, were about. They weren't about this information that we were getting. They were about feeling different. And so that's what I want to do today, because normally, and, and I do this, I've, I've done this here at Harbor, you know, you dig into the homework of the Bible. Approaching the Bible is, is like, a, you know, you're sort of amassing the facts that you would need to, to write a book report, right? Uh, maybe you look at the original languages of, of Greek or Hebrew that uh, the verses were written in. Maybe you uh, look at scholars, you, you Google stuff. Uh, maybe you kind of talk about the counter narratives. All right, what was this person writing into? Who were these people? What was the connection point? And Isaiah is a pretty interesting verse to do that with because it's, it's an Old Testament verse that speaks to what is happening with Jesus in the New Testament. But that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to do a line-by-line reading of Isaiah. And actually, we're not even going to see it for a little while, so don't be expecting something like that. But my goal today is to have us all, myself included, feel different about Advent, feel different about what we're trying to do here. So prepare yourselves, because it's going to be a little bit weird. All right, we're going to do some weird stuff. First off, who likes poetry? Anybody? We have to talk? Yeah, we got a couple people, but not a lot is the point. <laughs> I'm in the group of people that does not. Okay. These poems, these uh, verses were written in, in poetry. And so it's really impar- important to talk about what poetry is. And for a long time, I had no idea. I did not understand uh, what poetry was. In high school English, my favorite teacher uh, in the entire world, Mrs. Muller, we did a um, unit on poetry, and I absolutely hated it. For the entire time, all we would do is sit there, we would read poems, uh, and we'd go through each line, and we would just ask the dumbest questions. And I swear to you, we did, uh, we read this poem. uh, (laughs) I'll put it on screen. Okay, it's called The Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos Williams. I'm sorry if this is your favorite poem. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow, glazed with rainwater, beside the white chickens. That's the entire poem. (laughs) And I remember sitting in class, and I'm not going to say her name, but her name was Terry, and she goes, what do you think it means that the the wheelbarrow is is wet? (laughs) And I yelled this. I go, maybe it's because it got left out in the rain, Terry. (laughs) What's there to think about? (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) So I, I, it, it, poetry was something that it just didn't make any sense, especially in this world where we're trying to convey meaning. It just, why are we sitting here asking questions about something that's just a few words, right? And I don't, I don't hate literature, okay? Last time I preached here, the whole sermon like, was predicated on this scene from Great Expectations, a Charles Dickens novel. So I love, I love novels. If you give me a book, I, I can talk about it all day long, but gosh, poems, oh, I hate them. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's funny, so I'm, I'm in school, I'm getting a, a master's degree, and I, I came to my professor, I took an elective poetry class, and I came to my professor with all of this, all of these misgivings, uh, we'll call them, about poetry. And uh, I said, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't just say what you mean, right? And why it takes so much time uh, to understand these things. And why, why does every poem seem like it has to be like an Easter egg hunt? And she just kind of smiled and she goes, I, I just don't think you understand what poem, poets are trying to do. Okay, so number one, line by line readings, you're not supposed to do that, right? Poems are not trying to convey information to you, right? There is no universal meaning and clarity to poems. Poems are supposed to just wash over you. It's like seeing the sunrise. Sometimes you're driving, you see the sunrise, and you're like, Mom, I guess it's morning now. But sometimes you see a sunrise and you're like, oh my gosh, my entire life is flashing before my eyes. This is incredible. And that's really what a poem is. It's in, in word form, it's really a piece of art more than it's a piece of sort of information. And that's really important because we live in a world where essentially a lot of the things that we do are antithetical to poetry. Okay, so uh, we live in this world where, right, if you want to learn how to do something, you go look it up, right? If you want to learn how to cook, you, this is how you cook, right? This is how you build a jet engine. This is how you drive uh, this is how you run a church. This is how you run a country. We try to talk to each other really in these forms of ideas, these forms of, of ideas that are clear and have universal meaning. When things are ambiguous, uh, I myself, I, I tend to think that they have no meaning, right? So when somebody says, oh, well, you know, we're all different. I'm like, well, you're right, but that doesn't help anybody, right? We, we live in a world where we have to talk to each other. We have to build things. Uh, work policies are not written out in poetry. That would be crazy. Right? We have things like standard operating procedures. Uh, we have things um, like, like exact, exact directions on what to do in case of an emergency. Right? Things, are ha- things have to be efficient and they have to be clear. Right? Now see, the problem is that our lives are not run off of information. I have uh, a three-year-old daughter and we, we have a seven-month-old daughter now. Uh, I wish that when our seven-month-old was born that we just knew everything that, that we had, that everything that we knew, um, I wish that we knew everything that we were going to do uh, to raise her, right? And even though we already have a daughter, it is completely different. And those with multiple children are nodding their heads right now for sure. We're not born with instruction manuals, right? We're not born with this is exactly what you do in this exact moment. And the reason for that is because information alone is not enough to sort of speak to the human experience, right? I already know, and at this point in human history, we have access to more information than we could ever want, right? I know that I can look to resources to budget my time, to keep myself healthy, right? I'm very aware of who in my life needs help, of who in the world need help, needs help. Awareness is, is, is ever-present in our lives. Information, we are not lacking information. As a matter of fact, in a lot of businesses, there's too much data, right? It used to be that it was really hard to generate data points. Now, uh, with sampling, with everything, oh my gosh, it's about trying to figure out what is noise and what is data. And the hard thing about that is that when we talk to one another, we really want information to be life-changing. We want facts to be things that change our lives, but they don't. Right? I, again, I know how to take care of myself. But that's not the experience that I have. 
right? To think that our lives could be distilled down into pure information is to really underestimate human experience. And so when you think about it, our lives look a lot more like poetry than they do even novels, right? Even instruction manuals. Our lives are things that are so dynamic that in a lot of cases, we're ignorant of, of what goes on, right? Our lives look like the red wheelbarrow, where they drift off, where they're ambiguous, where there isn't an exact uh, just, just line of, of growth. And it's easy to go back. I, I do this all the time. I go back and I say, oh my gosh, that person at that time, you know, that thing that happened to, my, happened to me was this real you know, point of inflection. It was a real turning point. But really, in a lot of cases, our lives are about slow change. Our lives are about looking back throughout the years and saying, oh my gosh, I'm different now, but I don't know exactly how, right? In the last three years of this pandemic, we have all changed. But it's very hard to articulate exactly why or exactly when those changes happened. We can look back to certain policies. Oh, I remember when masks went on. I was hanging out with somebody. Um, uh, my old college roommate came and had Thanksgiving dinner with us. And uh, we were talking about, you know, all college, that kind of thing. And then we talked about the classic conversation about the pandemic. I had not seen him. Uh, and it's, oh, I remember when I remember when we had to start wearing masks. I remember when church closed down. I remember when, um, you know, I, I, I stopped going to work. And, and, oh, my gosh, I stopped seeing people. I stopped seeing my family. I missed holidays. And we have all those events that happen to us, but that doesn't capture the experience of who we are now, that feeling of who we are now. And so the thing is, is in this Western world, we have these ideas, but we have these experiences that are really the things that we start with, right? It's like describing a dream to somebody. It's like saying, oh, I, I, I just woke up from this dream and, and here's exactly what happened, but it's hard. We place these ideas on top of our experiences. And so to do that, I'm actually going to do, I got a couple of examples of this, this sort of difference between an experience and idea. So the first thing, if you want to do this with me, that would be great. Put your finger out like this. Okay, on the nose. Okay, in a circle, either way, and then start humming. All right, that's good. Now you can tell everybody, everybody in this room pretty much did that. Uh, and if you go to lunch today and somebody asks you, what'd you do at church? You can tell them exactly what you just did. We did the finger, we did this. But really, if you try to go further than that, further than just the simple facts of what you just did, it's very difficult, right? We all just had an experience together, an experience that's easy to talk about, right? But actually very hard to describe. Especially, you know, I could say, all right, I did this. I put my, my finger on my nose. I started going in a circle. Uh, but especially when I took that second breath and I started humming again, right? Then it's like, oh, how long is this going to go? right? And how weird is this going to get? That's the real question. <laughs> that feeling of like maybe embarrassment, embarrassment for yourself, embarrassment for me. Oh yeah, those are experiences that really are hard to articulate later. I have a Buddhist friend um, and uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. Uh, I hadn't seen him all summer actually. And I, I, I said, hey, how's it going? How was your summer? And he said, uh, he just kind of looked at me, he smiled. After a long pause, he goes, it was very good. I saw my family and where I live, uh, he lives in Sri Lanka, where I live, it's very beautiful. And then he just smiled and he just kind of stared at me. And as like the classic Westerner, I'm like, okay, you got anything else? You know, uh, what, is this, what is this silence? 
And I, I, I literally did say that. I was like, that, that, was, that wasn't anything. Well, you've got to give me something else. And he goes, no, nah, that's, that's about it. That's about it. And what I realized, and what he's you know, kind of helped me realize, is that in other cultures, silence is not this negative thing. It's not this void to sort of be, you know, to just sort of sit while somebody's thinking of something to say. See, in, in his culture, uh, not only do words inadequately grasp experiences, which I think we can kind of agree on happens here, not only do words inadequately grasp experiences, in some cases, words can hide truth, Right? And so when he was describing his summer to me, he said, actually, if I were going to say, if I was going to say anything else about my summer to you, it might actually be negative. It might actually put an idea in your head that might not be exactly what I, I experienced. So what I'd rather do is just sit here and smile. I'll give you, you know, the, the bare bones information, but I'm going to let you think about your life. Think about you seeing family for the first time. Thinking about the beauty of where you are from. And I'm going to wait. And in that silence, it actually becomes something very positive, not something that's kind of negative, this weird negative space. And that's interesting because what he was doing, he wasn't giving me information, he was giving me an experience. And so that's what we want to do when we approach these verses. All right? It's not to try to distill them for their raw, bare-bones information because there really isn't a really, there's, there's a lot of exegesis, but that's not really the point. That isn't the point. The point is hearing this, hearing this poetry, hearing these prophecies should be something that changes us, should be something that transforms us. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I'm just going to read it. This is what Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 says. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth. And the coastlands will wait for his teaching. What does it mean to anticipate the coming of Jesus? What does it feel like to believe that things will be different? When you hear this, and when you know that on December 25th, we will celebrate Jesus coming back, how does that change you? Not with information, not with the coming of Messiah. We celebrated Christmas last year. We're pretty sure we're going to celebrate Christmas this year. But how does that change you? How does the experience of hearing someone talk about the coming of Jesus, how does that change you? I'm going to read it again. We're going to put it on the screen. Here is my servant whom I uphold, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice 
on the earth. And the coastlands wait for his teaching. See, Isaiah is saying the world will be different because something new is on the horizon. Something new is on the horizon. That's not an idea, that's a feeling. That's an experience. You hear this, and all of a sudden, the rules by which you live your life are called into question. We talk a lot about, uh, in, in, in Christianity, we talk about, um, about rebirth. The Greek word for that is metanoia. What a rebirth is, is it's not adding information to your life now. It's not feeling different about who you are now. It's about looking at yourself in the future and saying, that person, that future person, looking back at me, will say, man, they didn't know anything. That person is a different person to who you are in the future. Which is a weird thing to think about because, again, I think of my life in terms of novels. I think of it a a trajectory, a linear trajectory of me getting better and, and, and kind of adding things, that kind of stuff. But really, my life has been a series of transformations. A really easy one to talk about is becoming a parent. You have no idea. You, you can kind of think about what kids would be. You know, you know friends and family who have kids. But there is nothing like feeling your heart explode the first time that your kid kind of looks at you and says, you know, Dad. And our three-year-old is, is now entering that awesome stage where she is completely aware of Christmas, of what's going on. We did the tree and the decorations yesterday. And that experience, to be like, this is my daughter who is just all about it right now, that experience, it, 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 it makes your heart explode. And that is, a, that is a transformation. There's no going back to who I was, right? If I travel back in time to who I was as an undergrad uh, or as a kid and to say, no, this is what it's going to feel like. There's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing. And so the goal today in Advent is to begin that transformation, however small it might be, right? But to have the expectation that by the time we hit Christmas, we're going to feel different. And it could be in the very, the very, the very smallest way, right? Or it could be in a huge way. And this is not, hey, I got to Christmas and I read my Bible more. I got to Christmas and I spend more time praying. It's I got to Christmas and I fundamentally think of God differently. And the important thing here is not to really have an expectation of a specific feeling. It was mentioned earlier that Christmas is a difficult time. And sometimes generating happiness, generating joy in your life can be exhausting. Feeling like you should feel a certain way can be absolutely exhausting. And too often the Christian experience is pushed into, all right, do you feel good or do you feel bad? And that's really difficult. That is really difficult. You look at the nuance of the Bible, you read the poetry, you realize that it's not about good or bad. It's about those things, in some cases, existing simultaneously. About happiness and lamentation existing simultaneously about feeling joy, though you might feel depressed. There is a range, a spectrum of feeling that is expressed in the Bible. And if we get past kind of the information part of it, you start to realize that these were real people that had had problems and thoughts and, and emotions just like us. And they were just trying to convey them. They were just trying to say, hey, I feel this way, and it's hard to talk about. 
What's Isaiah saying? He's saying there is going to be a world where the deadlines, the travel, the logistics, the power structure, all of that stuff is going to be different. It's not that you will become free uh, in, in whatever system you're a part of now. It's that that system will be gone and it will be replaced by something else. And that Jesus is said, Jesus will come and it's not going to be this, this sort of revolution, burn everything down in the streets. It's going to be a revolution of the heart. It's going to be a fundamental change in how humans think of themselves and think of each other. It's going to be a revolution of love. And that's a feeling. That is a feeling. That is not facts about, hey, this group of people is in need, this group of people is facing injustice. That is a revolution of all of the things that dictate our lives right now will be different. And I think now more than ever, like I said earlier, it's important that we take control of that, that feeling, of that transformational feeling. Like I said before, it seems like over the last three years, everything that has happened to me has just been reaction. Even this last fall, I don't know if you're like us, with our young family, it seems like somebody has been sick every single week. Uh, and we've had to skip school, we've had to stay home from work, uh, and it just has seemed like you wake up and you're like, all right, what's it going to be next? What's it going to be today? And that's what Advent is about. It's about making that conscious decision to say, you know what, I am going to take control of this transformational process. I'm going to try to feel different by the time we get to Christmas. I'm not going to let the, you know, the stresses of this holiday season, all of the absolutely fair uh, and I have a family too, and we're going to be traveling, we're going to do all the stuff. Uh, all of those things, I'm not going to let those stresses, those rules, those obligations, I'm not going to let those be the thing that dictate my transformation this holiday season. I'm going to let Jesus dictate that, that transformation. So this Advent, let's go in thinking about Transformation. And again, that doesn't come about that doesn't come about about learning exactly everything about these songs uh, from Isaiah, right? I'll share what I hear, but it might be completely different from you. And that takes time. That takes that takes thinking, right? Isaiah was speaking to a people in captivity. He was speaking to a people who were away from their homes. He was speaking to a people who had to keep themselves alive under situations that, that were completely, under, completely outside of their control. They knew what freedom looked like, maybe, but it was a freedom that was really dictated by the system that they were under. But Isaiah is saying, it's not about us trying to flip this system on its head or us becoming the ones in power and perpetuating injustice. It's about saying that the, just, the injustice that we see now, right? The stories that we live our lives by, the obligations, the limitations, the injustice that are, are, are so present in our lives right now, those things will be different. And so I'm going to end today by just reading the poem one more time. And I just want to sit in silence. And not a silence of, what did it mean exactly at that point? But a silence of, just let it wash over you. 
maybe a certain word or a certain verse kind of catches in your mind. But just feel what Isaiah is trying to say. Hear the emotion behind his voice, the yearning for people to feel differently. Because when you start feeling differently, that is the key to transformation. That's the key to love, is that feeling, that, that, that different feeling, that feeling of, that influences you. That is the difference. In this holiday season, that is the most powerful thing. Not the facts of, oh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to be born, right? We're going to do Christmas. It's going to be great. We're going to see people. Those, those are incredible, but it's that feeling. It's that feeling that things are going to be right in the world. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth. And the coastlands will wait for his teachings. 